0: Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we inspire you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Life Coach and Certified Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friend. Welcome to episode 36. Episode 36, New Thoughts. First of all, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. And if you've left a review, thank you for doing that. You know how much I love being with you. This This past weekend, I spoke at a podcasting conference, which was super fun because last year I went to the same conference without even having a podcast. And this year I got an opportunity to speak at it. And the section that I spoke in, we had kind of a round robin speakers and then a panel. And the section that I spoke on was about community and connection. And afterward, one of the ladies that was there came up and told me that she listens to my podcast, and she was excited to see that I was speaking. And I can't even tell you how Grateful. I was, I was so grateful that she came up, that she spoke to me, that she introduced herself, that she shared her experience of listening to the podcast. And, uh, if you're listening right now, I'll tell you again. Thank you. But I, I want to say to, to you all. So thank you. Thank you for being here and, and sharing the love. This is. Today's episode is the third part of the Power of Thoughts series. This week, we'll talk about how to direct your thoughts or how to direct your brain, uh, how to create new thoughts in order to create new results. And we'll also talk about new thoughts related to grief and loss. The first week we talked about the problem spin cycle and introduced the idea that our thoughts create our results and that was episode 34 mental health. Then last week we talked about the circumstance or the situation and how to separate the situation from the from the thought super important to do that. Again that was definitely one of my biggest shifts recognizing that the situation is neutral and how to separate the facts from the thoughts in my head. So I definitely recommend spending some time on that concept and really exploring it. Spend some time writing down your thoughts about a situation and then separating the facts from your thoughts. Remember your brain is going to try to convince you that all your thoughts are facts, but they're not. So just remember that. (laughs) I also want to give you another example. If you're a Christian, I want you to think about the life of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, while I'm sharing this example, I want you to think about your spiritual role model, because I'm pretty sure the same would apply. But if we think about Jesus Christ, regardless of your religious affiliation, the stories in the New Testament are pretty clear. Jesus never allowed what other people were saying or doing to affect him or to change the way he thought. Never did he say, they hurt my feelings. And if you're familiar with the stories from the New Testament, he had lots of opportunity to say that. He is a great example of believing truth and staying with the truth and not being swayed by circumstances or situations or allowing the circumstances or the situations to be our excuse for feeling or behaving a certain way no matter what the circumstance was no matter what was in front of him no matter how difficult he just never said well you know so and so did this and so therefore i had no choice but to be angry or to think this or to do that it just it just didn't happen And so the phrase, what would Jesus do, is pretty instructive in this case. The beginning of understanding the path from thought to our results is understanding how our thoughts affect our perception or our perception of a situation affects our behavior. And of course, then our behavior directly influences the results we get. A really, really clear example would be somebody who was seeking a college degree. Their behavior, their actions would clearly bring results. So if they choose not to go to class, the result would be no degree. If they choose to register and go to classes and take the classes that are needed, their result would be getting a degree. What did they have to think in order to feel, in order to behave or use those actions to get that result. So somebody doesn't go to college who thinks, I'm not college material. That's a thought. I'm not college material is a thought. You might think it's a, res- it's a circumstance or a fact, but in fact, it is a thought. I'm not college material is a thought. So when we think that, then our feelings are inadequate and our actions are, we don't go to college. And the result is we don't get a degree. We prove the point that we're not college material. But if we are determined to go to college and we think, I'm going to make this happen, I can do it. This is important to me. All those thoughts lead to determination and confidence and and confidence and determination lead to action of going to school, getting the degree, which is becomes the result. Anyway, a super clear example there. I'm going to give you another example. Last week, I used the example of money and our thought about money and how it influences our feelings and our actions and their, therefore our results. A few years ago, some friends were telling me about a budgeting class they attended. And when they walked into the room, there was an illustration on the board And at the top of the sample budget that was on the board, I think what it was was at the top of the, it had a budget and then there was a money amount and then there were categories down the side. But at the top of the sample budget was the monthly income of $6,000. Now, if you hear $6,000 a month, you're going to have thoughts about that. So if your household makes more than $6,000 a month, that might influence your thoughts about $6,000 a month. If your household makes less than $6,000 a month, then you're going to have a thought that's going to reflect your thoughts about your income, about your monthly income. But my friends were still living on a college budget. And when they saw $6,000 on the board, that was a huge amount of money to them. So what they were thinking about the $6,000 budget was, was how, how they were thinking about it was, was how, what influenced their experience in the class. So they walked in and saw a $6,000 budget, and their thought was, well, who needs a budget if you have $6,000? If I had $6,000, that would solve all of my budgeting issues. <laughs> but you can see how it's not the circumstance, it's our thought about it. So if, let's say they made $6,000 a month and they might come in and think, oh, this is going to be the perfect class for me. This is going to be the perfect class for me because that's exactly what I make. And they're going to show me exactly how I should budget my money. But if they're making more or they're making less, then it influences our thought, that influences our action, how we show up, and that influences our results. But regardless of how much we're making, if we walk into a classroom and it and it shows a sample $6,000 budget, we can still think that this is the perfect class for us. I want you to try that on. We can still think that this is the perfect class for us. $6,000, there is no specific feeling around $6,000. There's no specific thought Around $6,000. It's what we give it. So if we walk in and we're making more, we're making less, or we're making that, we can still think this is going to be the perfect class for us. Now, how can we do that? Because by purely believing that the instructor has information for us, regardless of what the example is, we can make it the perfect class for us. So if we see the $6,000 budget, that's the circumstance $6,000 budget on the board. That's a fact. It's written there. Then our thought, this is going to be the perfect class for us. When we think that our feeling is maybe gratitude, encouragement, excitement, even if we're really, really interested in learning a budget. And then we show up interested. We show up engaged in the class. And the result is it becomes the perfect class for us. So regardless of what we walk into, we can always choose the thought. So how do we direct our brain? I just kind of gave you an ex- illustration there. We can direct our brain by creating a new thought. But if you've, you've probably heard of affirmations. And one book that really is- illustrates the power of affirmations is the Miracle Morning. In that book, he talks about a roommate that every morning would sh- would shout in the shower and shout his affirmations and that he was the greatest salesperson and I can't remember the details of it but basically he would he would shout these affirmations the roommate would shout these affirmations to himself in the shower and and the, what the author discovered was that by doing that he actually his his roommate was actually creating results that matched what he was saying Another really good book for this, totally different book, uh, but it's uh, Louise Hay, H-A-Y. Louise Hay's book, You Can Heal Your Life. And she gives many, many examples, chapter after chapter of different categories, money, health, relationships, and and she shows these different categories, and then she gives us she gives us the affirmations. She gives us the declarations to practice in order to create the feeling and the action to get that result. So there's lots of ways to do affirmations. And another word I've heard for it, which I actually prefer is declarations. And I'm going to explain why I prefer that in a minute. But, but there's lots of different ways to do it. And, you, and depending on who you read or you talk to or you're, you're listening to me, you're going to hear different ways of doing it. And many people will say to do it in present tense. Like, I am the greatest salesman. Like this roommate said, I am the greatest salesman. And the fact is, it probably doesn't matter that much how we phrase it. We could say, I'm becoming, or I am going to be, or whatever. It's still directing our brain. So we just want to do it. We don't want to worry too much about the mechanics of it, but we just want to do it because when you do it, you're directing your brain. And that's why I love the word declaration, because we're declaring, we're declaring that this is what we're going to do. And we're telling our brain, we're directing our brain that this is what we're going to do, that this is what we're looking for. Remember, we went through the thought model. There are, there are different thought models out there, but Brooke Castillo's is my favorite because she starts with the circumstance. And last week's episode was all about separating the circumstance from the thought. Too often in thought models, we start with the thought. But if we don't know how to, how to look at the circumstance and create a thought, then starting with the thought can become problematic, but she starts with this circumstance, which creates, which then we have a thought about it. And that's where we get to kind of take action is, is to determine what thought we want to have about it. So we circumstance thought and the thought leads to our feeling and our feeling leads to our action and our action leads to our result. It's comprehensive. That's why I like this model. And it stands alone really well. So here's the beauty of it. You can start with the result in the model. You can restart with what you want. Let's say you want a better relationship, a better relationship with a family member. Our relationships are highly influenced by our thoughts about the other person, like 90 to 100% seriously. So if you want a better relationship what do we need? We need better thoughts. So if we want a better relationship, if we put that in the result line, and the circumstance is the person, you can put the person's name in the circumstance. And then we want to look at the thoughts. And a lot of times we have a lot of unintentional thoughts about someone. We we say they're sloppy, or they're harsh, or they're mean, or they don't like me. Here's a really interesting thought. When we say something like, they don't like me, we think that's a fact. But in reality, it's our thought about what they're thinking. We don't know what they're thinking. We have no idea. So we can't, in our own model, we can't put thoughts in somebody else's head into our model because we don't know. We don't know. So saying things like, he doesn't like me, or she doesn't like me is not helpful at all, because it's actually not based in fact. As much as we gather evidence that it is, or if we say something like, I have a difficult relationship with that person, guess what? Our result mirrors our thought. So if our thought is, my relationship with that person is difficult, then guess what? Our result is going to be a difficult relationship. Because when we think we have a difficult relationship with somebody, how do we show up? We show up walking on eggshells. We show up unsure of ourselves. We show up unloving because we're holding back because we think we have a difficult relationship with that person. And when we show up that way, when we have those feelings, when we have those actions, then the result is we do have a difficult relationship with that person. So if we can change our thought to something that's helpful, for example, again, we put the circumstances, just the person, not our thoughts about the person, not our thoughts about the relationship, just the person, then our thought, our thought can be, I love her. I love her. If we focus on, I love her, Did you know that that's a choice? Our feeling then becomes love. And our action is we show up loving. And our result is a more loving relationship. So we prove our thought. So I want you to really, really experiment with new thoughts. Practice them as declarations for a specific situation. So you can have declarations, just things that you want to Tell yourself that you can even go, you can even Google. You can Google affirmations for a better relationship or affirmations for better health. You can Google it. And you could come up with some statements that you could practice, but you can also practice new thoughts for a specific situation, just like the one I just shared with you about relationships. We practice not thinking I have a difficult relationship. Instead, we practice focusing on, I love her. I love her. It's a choice. We get to decide what we're going to focus on. So that becomes our new thought, and we practice it. What does practice mean? It means that we're not perfect at it right away. It doesn't mean that we're immediately changing our results overnight. It means that we're practicing. We're practicing new thoughts. Now, I want to talk about how our thoughts affect our grief experience, and how we can use our thoughts to change our grief, not get rid of it, but just change our experience. I posted a BBC video about grief on the Build a Life After Loss Facebook page. And it's a really interesting short illustration of grief. And in this illustration, I would encourage you to go to the Facebook page and and look for it but and, and watch the video. But Just to describe it quickly in the video, the narrator draws a circle and this is, this is our being. She's, it's representing our being. And she's, you know, when a loss happens, grief affects our whole being and she colors it in. And, and then she talks about how they used to, you know, that they used to think that it would just, that grief would just, would just get smaller and smaller. And then it would dissipate or disappear. But that now her experience or her thoughts are that the grief doesn't actually get smaller as much as it gets surrounded by our new life and our new circumstances and our new experiences. And that the edges soften and it's not Nearly as dark and, and so forth, but it, it softens, but it kind of remains there and we build around it. And I, and I, I wanted to share my thoughts about grief here as well with, a, with a little more explanation of my thoughts about it. There's no right or wrong to where you are right now. If you feel like you are the illustration of the circle with it all colored in dark, that's totally okay. Whether whether you are in the depths of despair, trying to figure out if you can, or how you will move forward with your life, or if you're starting to see the light at the end of the grief tunnel, or if you are on the other side, looking back at your grief, like that's where I find myself now. These are all valid places to be. There's no right or wrong. I cannot emphasize that enough. And I'm not sure... I'm totally comfortable with describing grief as still existing in us forever. So a while back, I posted this exact same video on my personal Facebook page, and I talked about grief differently then than I do now. But since I've spent this time doing this work and working with people, I have some different thoughts about it. That I want to share with you. And these are some of the thoughts that I, I wrote when I reposted this. I, I tend to look at grief a little differently now and I look at it differently than other people because so often I've had all these opportunities to speak and to do interviews for TV and radio and, and to do interviews on podcasts. And invariably when I share my story, people say to me something along the lines of, I'm sure the grief is still there, but not as- you know not as traumatic or not as consuming as it was before. But when I think about grief now, I think of the deep, agonizing distress, the deep, agonizing sorrow that accompanies the early days, the early months, and the early years after a loss. And that will be different depending on the loss. And the intensity of the relationship with the person or the experience. And I don't feel like I experience grief anymore in that sense. On occasion, I experience sadness or even a very brief, painful moments around my loss and around my losses that I've had in my life. But I haven't felt that consuming, lingering grief in a long time. If you look at the dictionary definitions of grief and sadness, those words would look synonymous. They would look like synonyms. But to me, the feeling of grief is very different. And I'm, I'm curious your thoughts about this. But to me, grief feels like that dark period after a loss when we're working on coming to terms with our loss, when we're figuring out how to accommodate it, when we're figuring out how to adjust to the new reality. Grief is not, to me... Grief is not just a feeling, it's work. It's long, hard, distressful, painful work. It's consuming. And we often refer to unresolved grief, but seldom do we refer to occasional sadness as unresolved sadness. I'm, I, I'm hoping you're picking up the distinction that I'm talking about here. But our thoughts about grief and how we are doing in our grief Will affect our results. Again, our thoughts are going to affect our results. So, for example, if we don't understand that grief is normal and natural response to loss, we can add shame to our feelings of grief. We're feeling shame because we're grieving and we don't understand it to be normal and natural. Or if we don't believe that grief can be resolved. And this is where, this is where I kind of separate from the illustration of the video is, if we think that the grief is just going to reside there forever, if we, if we don't believe that the grief can be resolved, we won't look for answers or ways to move through the grief tunnel and we'll get stuck in the grief cave. So if we believe grief is a tunnel and not a cave, that can be a really good go-to thought. When we feel the pain of grief, we can say we're in the tunnel. And and then we have this sense that we're moving through the tunnel. And I know that there's days and even weeks and sometimes even months where it doesn't feel like we're moving through the tunnel. It feels like we're staying in one place. But just the thought that we are moving through the grief tunnel can help us in the way that we perceive our grief. Many people, many people believe that there is no answer. There's no answer to their grief. And so they stay right where they are. And it's not because there's non-answers to their grief, but it's because of their thoughts, because of their beliefs. And beliefs is just, all beliefs are is thoughts that we think over and over and over again. So let's put loss in the thought model. So the circumstance is loss. And our thought, if our thought is, I will grieve forever, then we're feeling grief and despair, and hopelessness. And our action is no action. We stay in grief. And the result is we stay in grief forever. So remember, the result proves the thought. But if on the other hand, our thought is, I'm hurting right now, but I won't hurt forever. And this was one of the thoughts that I entertained during my grief. I'm hurting right now, but I won't hurt forever. And there were days that I didn't believe this. But because I'd had other experiences with grief, I knew that there was another side, that there was light at that proverbial fr- fr- tunnel at the end of that. So if I if I think I'm hurting right now, but I won't hurt forever, my feeling is then a mix of grief and hope. I actually had an interviewer ask me recently, is it possible to have grief and hope? And he didn't see that as a possibility, but I... Absolutely believe that we can be hopeful grievers. And when we have hope, then our action is that we act in hope. And that looks totally different than being in despair and acting in despair. And the result is we don't hurt forever. It might be a really, 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 really long time, (laughs) but not forever. Here's another example. Again, the circumstance is loss. And our thought is, I feel so bad, there must be something wrong with me. What do we feel when we think our grief means there's something wrong with us? We feel hopeless again. We feel despair. We might feel shame. And our action is then we we wallow. We wallow in the suffering and the pain. And the result is over time, we develop something wrong with us. It is possible that we could develop something wrong with us because we wallow in the despair. In contrast, if our circumstances loss again, and our thought is, I feel so bad, but grief is normal. Grief is normal. And then our feeling is grief without the added pain of shame, despair, and hopelessness. And our action then becomes, we allow the grief. We allow the grief. And when we allow the grief, it moves through us. And then the result is we have a healthy grieving experience. One of my favorite thought hacks is I'm figuring this out. We can add, I'm figuring this out to whatever statement we want to. We could add it to, so for example, I could say, I don't know what to do with my grief, but I'm figuring it out. I don't know what to do about my money problem, but I'm figuring it out. Just adding, I'm figuring this out, starts to take us out of the problem spin cycle, where we're focused on the problem and it's so overwhelming, then we turn it back on ourselves and say, there's something wrong with us. And by saying, I'm figuring it out, it activates our brain it activates our brain our brain is so powerful if there's one thing that you learn from this whole three part series is the power of our brain but when we say i'm figuring it out it activates our brain to start looking for solutions and when our brain starts looking for solutions guess what it finds solutions it's not overnight It might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, it might not happen next month, it might not even happen next year, but it will happen if we entertain that thought long enough. Our brain will start to look for solutions because we've told it, we've told it that we're figuring it out because our thoughts activate our brain. Our thoughts activate our brain to take action or our thoughts can activate our brain not to take action. Either way, it leads to our results. So let's start to examine our thoughts. Let's choose thoughts that help us. Let's be intentional. Let's practice our new intentional thoughts. Practice our declarations every morning and evening. What I want you to do is I want you to create some declarations, write them on an index card and put them on your nightstand and practice them when you get up in the morning and before you go to sleep at night. Every morning, every night, you're going to pick up that index card. You're going to practice your declarations. You can practice in between too, but start there for sure. Every morning, every night. Remember, if you're wondering if you're doing it right, right now, I want you to get on your phone or your computer and send me an email at julie at buildalifeafterloss.com. I'm here to help you. Remember, I love you and I believe in you.